The following audio is from Shady Grove Presbyterian Church in Rockville, Maryland. Our mission is to follow Jesus Christ and labor for his kingdom both in our area and around the world. For more information about Shady Grove Presbyterian Church, please follow our Facebook page and visit shadygrovepca.org. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 42. Psalm 42 is the first psalm in Book 2 of the Psalter, closely related to Psalm 43. We can tell that's the case because the chorus, the refrain in the psalm that we find in verse 5 and 11 is also repeated in Psalm 43, verse 5. So these two psalms go together. Let's read God's word together now. This is the living word of Christ, Psalm 42. To the choir master, a mass skill of the sons of Korah. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me continually, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mitzar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me continually, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Please pray with me. Oh, Father, we thank you for inspiring this psalm and putting it in your word. You who collect our tears in your bottle. You who are the creator of man, whose son became man, knows the greater pandemic of depression in humans and the great brokenness of our souls and often being downcast in turmoil. Would you now, 
Show us how to navigate through the darkness. Show us, Lord, your solution to depression in your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And show us how he fulfills this psalm that we might read and pray and sing this psalm for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And so we notice in Psalm 42, there is an inscription. We have some instructions for the choir master, the choir director, a reminder that this is a song. And we see the author or authors of this psalm are the sons of Korah. These were some of the Levites whom David appointed and installed to lead God's people in worship in the tabernacle and then the temple. One of them is He-Man, whose psalm will read, Psalm 88, and his right-hand man was Asaph. You can learn more about them in 1 Chronicles chapter 6. And we see that this is a mass skill. That's a wisdom psalm. Psalms that teach God's people how to wisely navigate through life. And like the prayer of Jonah in Jonah 2, which we saw in Sunday school, this psalm is also a lament. A lament is a prayer song in which the psalmist cries out to God in the midst of his distress, in the midst of his sufferings, often with questions. It's striking this psalm has nine questions. Three of the questions are to God. When shall I come and see God? Why have you forgotten me? Why do I go about mourning? Two of the questions are asked by the enemy to the psalmist as he repeats, where is your God? Where is your God? But let's zoom in now on four of the questions asked by the psalmist are to his own soul. And so six times we find the phrase, my soul. The soul, the deepest part of who you are. The real you, where your desires and emotions and longings spring from. And so this morning, let's consider these three things. The thirsty soul, the exiled soul, and the downcast soul. First, look with me at the thirsty soul in verse 1. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. The thirsty soul is thirsty because he's away from the life-giving presence of God in the temple. We can see in verse 4 that this psalmist longs to go back to the temple, the house of God where he dwells, where the Lord fellowships with his people. And the thirsty soul wants to drink of the life-giving waters of the living God. It's amazing that this is the only psalm in the scriptures that begins with a comparison. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so in the same way my soul longs for you, O God. The image the psalmist has given us is of a deer in a parched land panting and longing and thirsting for water. 
This very unique word, to pant, means to long for, to crave. It's only found here and in Joel 1.20. In both contexts, it's referring to thirsting for God in the midst of the desolation of exile. So the soul is like a deer panting for flowing streams. But the flowing streams are parallel with the living God. Flowing streams refers to the deepest water channel of a valley. So the psalmist doesn't just want a little Dixie cup sip of the Lord. He wants to drink deeply. Are you thirsting for the Lord this morning? Every human being thirsts and craves from the soul. The question is not, are you thirsty? It's who or what are you thirsty for? And the psalmist, we see, is thirsty for God himself. Verse 2, my soul thirsts for God. And who is this God? He's the living God. Unlike the false gods, the idols that sinners often make for themselves, God replacements. No, this is the life-giving God. He's thirsting for God as if God is the water. And so, thirsting for the living God begs the question, when shall I come? When shall I enter in to the house of God? When shall I come in to do what? To see God. The Hebrews suggest that he doesn't just want to be seen by God, but he wants to do the seeing. He wants to see the face of God, the greatest privilege any human being can ever have. And this psalm invites a comparison with Psalm 63, where we have David in the wilderness saying in verse 1, Oh God, you're my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. Just as we saw in Psalm 42 too. And then he says in verse 2, So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, in the holy place, beholding your power and your glory. In this sight of the glory of God in the tabernacle and the temple satisfies the soul like fat and rich food. Psalm 63, 5. And so the psalmist is thirsty for the living God because the living God is also called the fountain of living waters. Jeremiah 2, 13. And the living waters are said to flow out of the house of the living God in Ezekiel 47 to give life to the dead. To give life to everything it touches. So in this sense, the living God gives forth himself as the living waters from his life-giving presence in the temple. And the psalmist longs for that. But instead of drinking of God, what does he drink? Verse 3. He must drink his own tears. His tears have become his bread, his food. 
So there's a reversal of water imagery. Instead of drinking of the Lord, he's drinking of his sorrowful tears. And what's the circumstance of his weeping? It's the mocking and taunting of his persecutors. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Thus he feels forgotten by God. In this way, the thirsty soul is also the exiled soul. Our second point, the exiled soul. In the Bible, exile is being far from God. And now the psalmist is far from God, as we'll see, outside the land of promise, along the Jordan River, likely on the other side. And he seeks to encourage his soul by remembering when he was near to God with his people in the temple. Look at verse 4. As he pours out his soul to God, he tries to remember these things. These things I remember. What are these things? There's four things he remembers that have to do with the pilgrimage, the journey up to the house of God. So he remembers how he would traverse, how he'd pass over, how he'd go up over the terrain of Israel along with a throng, a large mass of people. He remembers how he would lead them to the house of God. Because after all, this is one of the sons of Korah, a Levite, a worshiper, but a worship leader. And the destination of the journey was the greatest of all, the dwelling place of the living God, for him to lead God's people in worship. He wants to be there. The third thing he remembers is that this huge multitude or throng of people would create a joyful noise, a joyful roar and sound to the Lord, a rejoicing cry, a song of thanksgiving and praise. He remembers that sound. And he also remembers that this multitude of festival keepers, they were not the frozen chosen. They were not a lame bunch. They were joyfully keeping the feasts and festivals that celebrated God's saving works, such as the Passover and the Exodus and the Lord's provision in the wilderness. But he's not there. And he's not with God's people. Instead, he's far from God. Verse 6, he remembers God all the way from the land of the Jordan by Mount Hermon, far from the house of God, where the Lord would fellowship with his people. And the psalmist is a lyricist, and so he uses wordplay in verse 6 and 7. Three of the same Hebrew words from verse 4 are used now in a negative sense. Now he remembers the Lord from afar. Now he hears the sound or the roar of the waters of judgment. And instead of passing over the land up to the temple, the flood breakers are passing over him. And so the psalmist is describing his exile from God along with the taunts of the enemy with water judgment language which we saw last evening at the flood in the Exodus and this morning in Jonah. The very waters of judgment that God poured out on the wicked 
at the flood and upon the Egyptians at, ex, at the Exodus, he now uses to describe the wrath of God pouring over him. And so notice in verse 7, deep calls to deep. There's our key word, to home, the deep seas, the depths. The deep seas are calling back and forth to each other. Just as the wicked were destroyed by the depths, by the deeps at the flood, and also the Egyptians. But instead of the unbelieving wicked in Noah's day being the subjects of the deep seas or the wicked Egyptians, now the deep seas have swept over him. All your breakers in your waves have gone over me, have passed over me. And this word for the waves passing over him was used in Psalm 78, 13 for God's people passing through the flood waters on dry ground in salvation. But he's not passing through the waters. They're crashing down upon him. We saw this morning, Hosea 5.10, the Lord said, I'll pour my wrath upon them like water. And now God is pouring upon him the waves of his anger. And remember where the psalmist is sitting. He's along the Jordan River where Joshua led the second generation of Israelites after coming through the wilderness, after the Lord delivered his people from Egypt through the Red Sea, the second generation needed a second Exodus event. And so the Lord caused the Jordan River to be miraculously spread apart for them to walk through on dry ground, just as the Lord did at the Red Sea. And they came into the land of promise. And there's more echoes back to that because this word for waves is gal. From the word Gilgal, which means to roll, hence roller waves, some translations say here. Gilgal was on the other side of the Jordan, inside the land of promise. And that's where Joshua and the entire nation was circumcised after they passed through the waters. Listen to Joshua 5, 8, and 9. When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, the Lord said, Today I have rolled away, that word gal, Gilgal, I've rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the name of that place is called Gilgal. But now, the gal, the roller waves are crashing down upon him and the reproach and taunts of the enemy oppress him. We see that in verse 10. But let's zoom in again on this phrase in verse 7. All your breakers have passed over me. All your breaker waves. This same phrase is found in Psalm 88 by one of the sons of Korah. And it causes us to wonder maybe it's He-Man himself who wrote Psalm 88 who also wrote Psalm 42. But I ask, I ask you now to turn to Psalm 88. We're just going to read a few verses, but try to keep your finger there in Psalm 42. And don't expect to see He-Man 
the action figure, the cartoon from the 80s here. Rather, this is one of the sons of Korah. Millennials miss that. That's okay. But Psalm 88 is a very similar psalm where suffering and exile is described with watery grave language. Jonah draws much on Psalm 88 in his prayer in the belly of the fish. But Psalm 88 is perhaps a darker psalm than Psalm 42. Perhaps the darkest psalm in the Bible. And it doesn't even end on a note of light or hope. But look with me, Psalm 88, beginning with verse 1. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my, cry, let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. That's the grave. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Another word for the flood. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me. Here's our phrase from Psalm 42, with all your waves. Jump to verse 16 of Psalm 88. Your wrath has swept over me. Same phrase in the Hebrew as Psalm 42. Has gone over me, swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. He's been betrayed. My companions have become darkness. Please turn back to Psalm 42. And so while Psalm 88 and Psalm 42 have a close relationship, you may recall from our time this morning in Sunday school, Jonah actually quotes all of the phrase in Psalm 42, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. When Jonah is thrown into the deep, into the depths, the Tahom, he says, all your breakers and your waves have passed over me. And Jonah takes the metaphorical experience of the psalmist, who is actually likely not in the floodwaters, but describing his suffering as a metaphor with the floodwater imagery. Jonah takes that for his literal experience of the waters of judgment upon him, which we saw he compares to exile, being driven and cast away from God's sight. No wonder Jonah would quote Psalm 42 and Psalm 88 in his psalm. And so, another water reversal, but a more severe one. The psalmist thirsted for the life-giving waters of the living God, but all he's getting is the waters of death from the wrath of God. And so no wonder his soul is downcast, our third point. The downcast soul. We notice the repetition of the word downcast three times in the psalm for emphasis. It's in the refrain and it appears again in verse 6. My soul is downcast within me. 
What does this word downcast mean? It means to be pressed down from being brought low. It's related for a deep pit, a depressed geographical area. So we could translate the word downcast, depressed. Why are you depressed, O oh my soul? Why are you so down? And it's parallel with the other question. Why are you in turmoil within me? Why are you groaning and murmuring within me? But as bad as that is, there's insult to injury. The salt in the wound is the constant taunts and mocking of the enemy all day long. Where is your God? But the Lord does not leave the psalmist. He does not abandon his people. In verse 8, we see the Lord, all caps, Yahweh, God's covenant name which literally means I will be who I will be. And when he reveals that to Moses in Exodus 3, it's connected with I will be with you. And so the Lord, in his steadfast love, his unswerving commitment and covenant faithfulness to his people, the Lord provides this exiled, thirsty, exiled soul, this thirsty, downcast soul with prayer songs. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me. Namely, what's that song? A prayer to the God of my life, to the living God. And so the psalmist commands his soul, hope in God. And this word for hope means trust with definite expectation. Hopeful expectation of something that's certain and will happen. Hope in God is the refrain, is the chorus, it's the hook. Because I shall again praise him. He is my salvation and my God, my covenant God. And Psalm 42 ends with that refrain. But there's a sequel to the psalm. And it's the next psalm, Psalm 43. What he longs for in Psalm 42, he begins to anticipate with greater hope in Psalm 43. Where we see in verse 3 and 4, he cries out, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them lead me and bring me where? Let them bring me to your holy hill, your holy mountain, and to your dwelling. That's where God's temple was. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. The living God answered the psalmist's prayer ultimately when he sent light in truth, who is a person. And it's the Lord Jesus Christ. The way, the truth, and the life, who is a light to those in darkness. But in order for Christ to bring us back to the Father, into his temple presence, in union with Christ, where he is now in heaven, having ascended to the heavenly temple, in order to bring us there, Jesus first had to experience Psalm 42. So in these last few minutes, let's look carefully how Jesus, the Israelite, would have read 
Psalm 42 and seen it as the blueprint for his own life and experience. When our Lord arrived on the scene, the spiritual condition of Israel was dry so that as the psalmist longed for God in a parched land, Psalm 63, 2, so Jesus grew up before his heavenly father in a spiritually dry land. Isaiah 53, verse 2. As he fasted in the wilderness, he was the ultimate thirsting soul longing for his father. His bread and his drink was to do the will of his father. Jesus could identify with verse 4 in this temple pilgrimage. He himself, as a boy with his parents and family, walked up to the temple in Jerusalem with a multitude of worshipers. And he was so excited to be in his father's house. He didn't want to go home. His parents couldn't find him. Where is he? Mom, dad, didn't you know it's necessary? I must be in my father's house. And later in life, he'd stand on the steps of the temple and say, come to me, whoever thirsts. Indicating he's the true temple who pours forth life-giving water, promised in Ezekiel 47. Jesus would have understood. Verse 6, as he was at the land of Jordan for his baptism, he heard the crashing of the waves of the Jordan River. And he knew it was pointing forward to being baptized by the wrath of God on the cross as the floodwaters of Noah in the Exodus and Jonah pointed forward to the final flood of judgment, which Christ suffered on our behalf. Not for sins he had done, but for our sins, for our thirsting for idols. He was exiled from the Father, forsaken by the Father to satisfy the eternal exile judgment that we deserve in the lake of fire. Jesus was the exiled soul. And yet the living God took upon a human soul not only to relive Psalm 42, but to pray it. Jesus prayed Psalm 42 and I'm not just guessing. He quotes the refrain of Psalm 42 in the Garden of Gethsemane, Matthew 26, 38. Very sorrowful is my soul. Quoting the Greek Old Testament, which words it like this. Why are you very sorrowful, O soul? But Jesus doesn't put it in question form. Because he knows the answer. His soul is very sorrowful unto death. Only places in the Greek Old Testament and Greek New Testament where very sorrowful and soul are side by side. And so the moment before being arrested and going to die, the moment before going to the cross, he begins to consider 
all of the sin of all of God's people from all of redemptive history is about to be laid on him. And all of your breakers and waves are about to pass over me. And so what should I pray? Psalm 42. Very sorrowful is my soul, even unto death. And the exiled soul, this downcast Depressed soul became the thirsty soul on the cross when he said, I thirst. But all that was given to him to drink was the bitter cup of the wrath of the Father, which he drank down to the dregs for you and I. So that the curtain of the temple could be torn in two to bring us to our God. And after his enemies taunted him, where is your God now? Where is your father? If you're still, if are you really the Christ? After he gave up his spirit, he was pierced through with a spear in what flowed out. Blood and water, living water flowed out of the living God to purify us to cleanse us, to satisfy our deepest longings. And he was raised from the dead to give us his Holy Spirit, to be our comforter in sorrow and to put his spirit in us, to make us his temple, the house of God, the church. And by the spirit, we, we can worship God anywhere. Through Christ, he has given us access. And so I want to speak in closing to those who are struggling with depression, which on one level is every human deals with some kind of downcastness in soul, but some of us more than others. When you are down, when you are depressed, feeling far from God, beat down by your enemies, hearing the taunts of the accuser, recall that one has already experienced the fullness of human depression when he was cast away from the Father for you on the cross to pay for all your sins. And he was forsaken momentarily So that he could say, I will never, ever leave you or forsake you. But if you have not called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, what is your hope in depression? I became a pastor because first I was a school teacher in the city of Philly and then a social worker. And the amount of families and parents and kids diagnosed with depression sometimes rightly, sometimes wrongly diagnosed. It's in the millions. And it doesn't matter what your socioeconomic background is. Depression is rampant. And what is your hope? To fill your depression with idols and false gods? It can only be the living God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he invites you to himself. Come to me, all who are thirsty, and drink freely 
of the living waters, Christ himself, who puts his spirit in you to cleanse you and wash you and purify you and satisfy you. And so brothers and sisters, now by faith in Christ, we can wait in prayerful, hopeful expectation for our God, singing prayer songs to him, like the Psalms in verse eight. And Christ himself will be with us by his spirit, since he's already walked through the valley of the shadow of death and the deepest, darkest depression and rose victorious over it, he'll walk us through it and bring us to himself. And we will be among the throng that he leads, not to the earthly temple in Jerusalem, which has given way to the heavenly temple, but he will lead us into the new heavens and the new earth where there's no need for a temple building because the Lord himself, Jesus, is there the temple, the fullness of God's presence. And then we shall go in and forever see the very face of God, the face of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we want you. And Lord, we acknowledge the most broken, jacked up, evil part about us is when we don't want you. And things and desires in our soul that looks elsewhere, that drinks from man-made cisterns of filth instead of the fountain of living water. Forgive us, O Lord. But Jesus, thank you for living this psalm, praying this psalm, fulfilling this psalm, and providing it for us now as your sojourners, your pilgrims in this broken world. And Lord, guide us by your light and your truth of your word, by your spirit, until we reach our heavenly home. And Lord, allow us to comfort those with the same comfort we receive from you who are in the deep valley of depression, that they may see Christ in all his glory, Father, as their greatest hope. It's in his name we pray, amen.